Episode 22 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Nick Little-Hales, who's a sports sleep coach. When we first started this podcast, I wanted to get a number of different practitioners on, and sleep's a really important part of recovery and performance, so it was great to have Nick on the show. He is top of the field in terms of sleep. He's worked with some top, top players, top teams, so we talked about his experience with some Premier League players, the seven key areas of recovery and how your chronotype affects your sleep and your length of sleep and how many sleep cycles you need. And he also goes into his thoughts on napping. If you haven't done so already, you need to go and check out the Soccer Science Conference. The Soccer Science Conference sponsors this episode and it's on the 21st of June 2019. It's being held in Manchester at Hotel Football, which is right next to Old Trafford. I attended the conference last year down in Bristol and it was a great event, but this looks set to be even even better. There's a keynote speak, uh, speech from Gary Neville and there's also talks from uh, Barcelona consultant Paul Bradley, Shane Murphy of Manchester City, Matt Allen of Spurs, along with plenty other top-level speakers. If you go onto our website, footballfitfed.com, and you click on Network Meetings and Events, you go on to Soccer Science, that'll take you through to the Soccer Science website. And when you purchase a ticket, use code FFF10 and that'll give you a 10% discount. If you're listening to this before the end of March, the tickets are still available at early bird price. If it's after March, unfortunately, they're going to be at full price, but you can still get the 10% discount using that code. So we hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode with Nick. It'll be great to hear the feedback on the show. Like I said, it's been great to have someone on to talk about sleep. I could have talked to Nick all day. I had loads of questions. And he did say that if you guys get in touch with um, additional questions, he will film another episode and answer those questions. So please send them in. Please share the show on Instagram, on your story, retweet it on Twitter, tag other coaches, friends, family in, share it on Facebook, tell people about it. Please spread this. It's not just for football, this podcast, it's for absolutely everyone because this is sleep is really, really important. So please spread the word and um, get this information out to as many people as possible. Here's the episode with Nick. Welcome to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Little-Hale. Nick, how's things with you? Very well, thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be on your, your podcast. Um, no, I'd really it's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> no, I really do appreciate you coming on. And we're going, to, uh, we're going to focus on a specific subject today, one that you, I know you're extremely knowledgeable about, one of the top of the, top of the field in, in this certain subject. So we're going to talk about sleep and um uh, your experiences and the, and the people that you've worked with and all the rest of it so just start us off Nick just talk to us a little bit about your background and, and your experience um, uh, trying to keep that one short but it's uh, been a long old career I um, just loved sport as a teenager tried to get into anything I possibly could I'd, I'd love to have been a professional sports person but you know, I'm 58 years of age now, and that was way back in the late 70s. Um, and the world and sport and everything was a completely different place. Um, so I ended up giving up and uh, getting married and starting a family. And I fell into a, the uh, sleep industry, working for a company called Slumberland. Um, 
who made comfort products, sleeping products, beds, things like that. Um, I managed to graduate through their ranks to become their international sales and marketing director, very progressive brand, um, traveled around the world, um, looking at how people slept and worked with clinicians and things like that. Um, we didn't have a UK sleep council, so uh, I was part of a little collaborative team who set one up, and I was the chairman for that for a while. Um, along that route, um, sleep's important, isn't it, Ben? But, you know, the consumer, the population just was continuing to take it for granted. Um, there's no investment into it, so I just got bored. And um, probably that little midlife crisis, maybe in my early 40s, um, my UK office was in uh, Manchester, UK. Um, I decided that I wanted to leave and go and do something else uh, completely different. So I was working out a 12-month contract. Uh, I actually bumped into um, the local football team called Oldham Athletic. They'd asked me as a big business locally if I'd sponsor their shirts. Um, again, this is sort of mid-90s. And, and putting a sort of bed company on the front of a football shirt way back then was quite ridiculous. But, um, you know, the workforce at the factory, many hundreds, uh, a lot of them were season ticket holders. So I thought it would be a good thing for the company to do for the workforce. So I did it. It meant I started getting asked because I was the guy with the check um, to go along to various events. I bumped into... Uh, Manchester United, some people from Manchester United, um, because around that particular area, sort of Bury uh, and Oldham was very much a breeding ground for Manchester United players, the class of 92, as you would classify them. Um, you know, Beckham, Giggs, um, Scholes, Butt, the Neville brothers, um, a collection of people. Uh, and it just sort of, I thought, right, I'll just, you know, Contact Manchester United, the local, you know, big football team down the road from the office. Um, I wonder what they do about recovery and things like that. And uh, Alex Ferguson at the time got back to me and said, Nick, we do nothing, but the physio is quite interested, so come along. I went along, I had a chat to him. We did a little something with uh, one player called Gary Pallister, who was a centre-back, centre-half, a lot of lower back issues and uh, would only play, wouldn't train. Uh, my competence was in products, so I was asked to go along and have a look at what he was sleeping on at home and things like that, and we did, and he got all the classic mistakes in there. So I made a few changes. They started to see some improvements, so the dialogue continued. I was still working for my company, working out my contract, but my company wasn't interested in what I was doing as far as that was concerned. You know, it's sport, it's football. What's that got to do with sleep? Um, they were not in my industry, so basically all my views and opinions about sleep and human recovery, I could talk to them about them, and they would just accept them. Uh, although they're all sleepers, they were not in the sleep industry, per se. Um, some of those players went off and uh, played for the England national squad, um, and they started sort of passing on the information that they got somebody talking to them about sleep and stuff like that. And uh, the England squad had a physio who was also shared with Arsenal Football Club, a guy called Gary Lewin. And um, 
he sort of got intrigued by what the players were passing on. He got in touch with me uh, and asked me to go and talk to Arsenal. And at that same time, there was another particular moment in time where a new manager had come along called Arsene Wenger, who has had a radical approach to management and was deemed a little bit crazy at that time. And uh, he was very open to things like this. So I had to sort of present to the first team at Arsenal, um, which was a challenge. I had to sort of make my role up as a sleep, as, as a uh, somebody who's going to talk to him about sleep and Almost at the same time, because uh, or around the same time, I say, uh, Manchester United went and won a very dramatic treble against Bayern Munich. They had a lot of focus on them because it was such a, uh, you know, whether you like football or Manchester United or not, it was such a big event, dramatic event, um, that the media was on it. And they suddenly twigged that somebody was going into Manchester United and talking to them about sleep. So they took the word coach. They took the word sleep and they said Manchester United's got a sleep coach. So that's how I got my title. That was, uh, you know, 97, 98, around that area. And I suddenly realised, well, I'm about to talk to Arsenal, so I might as well call myself a sleep coach because it's in the press. I might as well try and do this. Uh, so I made something up, cracked on, and uh, 22 years later, here I am. So you mentioned briefly about some of the mistakes that um, players have made in terms of their sleep. Can you go into some of those? Some of the mistakes? Yeah. So what, when players are trying to improve the recovery, what mistakes are they making? Well, if you've got... Um, I think most of us are aware of there's three uh, key health and well-being pillars for the human being. One is nutrition, exercise... And sleep, you know, eat well, drink well, sleep well. Um, certainly exercise and nutrition has been done to death and will continue to do so. But sleep has never been looked into. So if you've got a lack of knowledge, there's no conversations in schooling or from parents or any understanding. You're just basically all you've got is to go to bed and get a good night's sleep and see you in eight hours time. Um, if that's the principle, then you can make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, over the years... There's been such a dramatic shift, Ben, from the late 90s to where we are now. Um, you know, some real paradigm shifts in social behavior, 24-7, scheduling, sport. Uh, the whole thing has been a dramatic change. And along that route, uh, you saw a lot of players trying to, to deal with these changes and, and failing. And it could be... They think that by wandering into the market and buying a big, fat, big, faster, go faster mattress with lots of the stuff in, fancy pillows and things like that might do it. They might think that uh, they could take certain supplements to help it. They would focus on pre-sleep routines, which is probably the worst one you could ever do because it's too late. Um, they would literally focus on waking up in the morning and then when there's only so many hours left, uh, before they got to do it again, they try and sleep, force themselves to sleep, maybe using, uh, you know, sleeping tablets, things like that. Um, and just generally, you know, falling asleep after morning training on the sofa for hours, completely out of sync. Um, and then as things started to change with, you know, traveling and uh, and different times for games, 
you know, 12, 33 o'clock, 5.45, 7.45, these types of things. Um, because they got no approach, they were just getting into sort of like an addictive behavior with, with caffeine, with the sleeping tablets and things like that. And I'm talking generally over a long period of time, but those are, those are just some of the areas where you fall into a trap if you've got no knowledge. And over your experience, what are the biggest impacts that sleep can have on performance on the pitch? There's, um, there's two sides to this now, Ben. It, it, um, it is about human performance. It's uh, very much about um, consistent levels of recovery. It, uh, it means that you're more available to play and you train better. Uh, injuries uh, can be uh, minimized, reduced. Injury times can be minimized and reduced. Um, there's the mental side to it, coping with the pressures, because re recovery is key to that. Um, there's also stamina, decision-making, mood, motivation. Um, all of those aspects come in from being recovered well. So you can combine all those things to to see that you can, by looking at recovery, you can actually get an individual player to be more available to play, um, which is great for the manager and the coaches. Um, they make fewer mistakes. They make better decisions. They make better choices. Um, they are still around in the 94th minute, Ben, when some others are not, um, which is critical. In uh, certainly football these days is 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 when you get these these final minutes which can change games is is who's still on the pitch and who's drifted away through fatigue or or a bad approach. But there's also now the key thing is is to protect players from getting into uh, addictive behaviour and allowing those pressures and stresses to develop on them to. You know, it's it's state the obvious little thing, Ben, but, you know, back in the late 90s with Manchester United, we did have a phone, but we couldn't do anything other than call each other. No texting, no nothing, no anything else. Um, uh, if I was wandering around Manchester with some Manchester United players, somebody would come up and ask for an autograph. They'd sign it. The autograph would go away, and it would stay with that person and not go anywhere. Uh, and now there's 70,000 people in the stadium with cameras with access to social media within seconds. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressures that's harping all around. So recovery on the one side is to get higher levels and consistent levels of recovery to be able to be at your best more often and also to protect you from the real downsides which are growing in the background of just making sure somebody is not impacted on the modern world as much as they should be. We speak to a lot of players and coaches and we always underline the importance of sleep. So what are some of your tips to improve sleep quality? Does it depend on the person? The top tips, Ben? Yeah, top tips for improving sleep quality. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest problems, Ben, is that uh, because of this lactic vegetation, that when we do start struggling with it, uh, and it becomes to a point when we want to try and do something about it. We, we tap into isolated things 
like don't eat too late, bedrooms at 16 to 18 degrees, um, maybe a supplement before you go to sleep that might help you sleep better, um, a new mattress, a new pillow, all of these types of things. And, and I think, you know, little tiny tips in isolation don't work. The key thing, uh, and I'll try and wrap this up quickly, is over that 22 years, uh, these challenges have been coming along. And I just started using certain things that would help an individual and a coaching staff and an organization to understand this process better. And what it is, uh, it's basically built around seven key recovery indicators. So rather than the top three tips, there's seven. Uh, And the seven areas that we look into, if somebody touches and makes a little change, bit of awareness, bit of education makes a subtle change in their approach. It all aggregates up to an overall better approach to recovery. And those seven are, is the circadian rhythms of the day. It's the sun up and sundown process. Tap it in your browser, look at some images, and you'll start to realize that you're a human being with a brain and bodily functions. There is a sun going around our planet. You're completely hardwired into it synchronized in it to make you function in the right way light dark and temperature it happens every day we can't change it your brain's the same as it always has been so just because we've shifted into a completely different era and a different lifestyle choices don't ignore that the second one is everybody's got a chronotype that is whether they're a morning or nighttime person an owl or a lark it is a little genetic twist You can camouflage it, you can override it, you can ignore it, but it's there. And some people are just like me as a morning type, always switching their alarm off. It never wakes me up. I'm up early, I'm hungry, I'm starving, I want to get going, and I do all of those things. Whereas other people are about two hours behind me, and they're called PMers, and they don't like starting the day. That's a key point too. The other one is if you just do a little bit of research into sleep, you'll realize that human beings have only ever started sleeping in one block at night since we invented the electric light bulb. So prior to that, which is not that long ago, 1700s, the Industrial Revolution, is humans always slept in what's called a polyphasic way. And that's shorter periods more often, biphasic, triphasic, three times a day, or even multiphasic. So some of these changes means that it's far more natural for us to, to, and this would need more explaining, but it's sleeping in shorter periods more often. It's recovering in shorter periods more often. And that's what children do when they come into the world, sleep in short periods more often. And it's something we we use clearly in uh, in sport to help people deal with the the schedules and the timings of any 24-hour period. The other one is uh, pre and post sleep. There's too much emphasis placed on pre-sleep, the things you do prior to trying to go into nocturnal sleep. And we very much focus on everything you do from the point of wake because unlike the other two health pillars with exercise and nutrition, they are mental and physical activities and choices. Sleep, you're doing nothing. So it's everything that you do while you're awake that when you do present yourself to go to sleep, you've given your brain the best opportunity to release the best level of recovery. There's nothing you can do about it while you're asleep. We have a number five, which is all about a balance between activity and recovery. If you do not, if you just run through your day 
wake up in the morning, wait till so many hours are left, da, da, da. if you don't have a relationship with little recovery breaks every 90 minutes, when you start your day, even a little CRP, little nap as it's known, a little 20 minutes for yourself, midday, early evening as the other two natural sleeping periods. If you don't think along those lines, because they were there for us naturally back in the 90s because we had nothing better to do. But if you're not thinking like that, then sleeping becomes really, really difficult because you're putting the brain and your everyday approach under too much pressure. Number six is quite simply environment. You know, we, we can sleep anywhere, anytime, on anything, in any way, Ben. We show that by looking at humans around the planets in different parts of the world, different climates, all sorts of things. We see people sleeping on trains, tubes, planes, sofas, chairs, in tents, sides of mountains, in freezing cold conditions. So there's far too much emphasis put on bedrooms, boudoirs, private sanctuaries, and all this wonderful stuff we have in our bedrooms that are all designed to make us sleep. When if we don't understand the process of taking yourself to any environment is the key. And of course, products, number seven. You cannot just walk out into the marketplace or online, buy yourself a fancy mattress with 300 nights trial, whatever. It's just a mattress with a load of stuff in it. It, it makes all these wonderful claims. It's going to do everything. You get it into your home and think that is now going to improve your sleep. It is not. It'll only just be there as some comfortable surface. It's not doing anything. It's not going anywhere. And if it's not correctly profiled to you, and if you don't have an approach from the point of wake to present yourself to sleep, you and your brain are not going to make any difference without what you're sleeping on. So sorry about that, Ben, but those are the seven top tips. Circadian rhythms, chronotype, sleeping polyphasically, balanced recovery and activity, pre and post sleep, environments and products. And you just touch on those little areas and improve your knowledge and your choices and you will become a different person overnight. I think that's fascinating. I think that's great information. I'm sure the guys have taken plenty from it already. Um, I've got loads of questions I want to ask, but I don't want to keep you all day. But I think some of the stuff that, like the common things that we get asked are things like, can you catch up on sleep? Like when people have a bad night and they wake up and they're, and they're feeling tired, like how would you approach that? And what's your opinions and your um, knowledge on like when people say about catching up on sleep? Then we, we, um, we have these words called sleep deprivation. It's sort of, you know, if you've been not sleeping very well, you, you know, you, you've lost a lot of sleep and you need to catch it all back up again. I think uh, there is some relationship with that. You know, I certainly choose sometimes uh, when weeks or periods have been particularly uh, tough or demanding is that I simply just choose to have a duvet day, you know, as they call it. Uh, and I just want to do nothing. Uh I just want to watch films, I want to stay in bed, and I want to snooze if I want or anything else. But the principle is, is in any 24-hour period with this sun going around our planet, it triggers hormones to, to unsuppress us, and it triggers hormones to suppress us. It gives us activity moments and high blood pressure and everything. 
And when we're best, uh, with our best coordination, with testosterone, with all sorts of things being produced, that's what it's triggered. And I think when you look at that 24-hour process, you want to remain in sync, in harmony and rhythm and pattern with it. So we, we use the, the R90 technique, which I founded, which I've touched on, the seven KSRIs. Inside of that is sleeping polyphasically. So we chop the day up into 90-minute cycles. We create sleep times and wait times. We also look at the midday and early, early evening, little shorter, 30 minutes or less, little CRPs or naps or what you call them. We're not trying to force ourselves to sleep. We're just trying to get a balanced recovery approach so that some days we might get four cycles. Sometimes we get five, which is 7.5 hours, five 90-minute cycles. We're just trying to say to ourselves that in any 24 hours, we're trying to get 7.5 hours worth of recovery. And we can do that uh, with a short period at night. We can balance that with a midday or early evening, a little shorter cycle. We can think about recovery every 90 minutes. So we're really taking the emphasis away of getting into a position where you really are so fatigued that you feel like you've got to go to bed early to catch up or you've got to stay in bed on your valuable days off to catch up. And all this does is just disturb and ask your brain to continue to be readjusting against its normal pattern and rhythm. So the more you're in tune with it, You'd be amazed that you can probably sleep less, you can recover, recover better, and you don't have this desire to, to catch up unless you choose, like I would, to just have a day off and do nothing and stay in bed and just watch the TV, watch films, whatever, uh, if that's the way the week's been come, because we're not in control of every day. We're not in control of every week. So it's all about getting through every 24 hours in a nice balanced way and, and topping your cycles up, but within a framework, not catching up, but keeping just to a natural rhythm and pattern. Well, you talked before about wake times and sleep times and when you're planning that in with all the people you work with now, how, how does that, and I, I know the guys can go and check out the, the work you do with the R90 technique and, and mm. all the work you put out. Yeah. How does that 90-minute cycle affect that? Um, when, you, when you start looking at circadian rhythms, Ben, you, you realize, obviously, there is a sunrise and a sunset. There's another thing that we've introduced called daylight saving time, which doesn't happen all around the world. So if you're in a particular country where we shift the clocks in winter and spring, it also changes our relationship with light and dark. And then you combine this 24-7 cultural word we're in now, uh, and we've just moved so far away from that process. So all I'm trying to do is take you back to something that's very natural, and it's about sort of being in harmony with a natural wait time. Now, uh, an AM chronotype would have a, a natural chronotype wait time of quite early. Mine is 6.30. Some might be 6, maybe 5. Uh, some might be 7. But AMers don't look at half past 7, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, because that, that's just nonsense. We're always going to be up and active in that early period. PMers are slightly different. So you might choose for an AMer, uh, their natural chronotype wake time has got nothing to do with their occupation. Mine is 6.30. Maybe if Ben's a PMer, 
His might be 8.30, for instance. From that particular point, it could be 8 o'clock, Ben. It's just, you know, it's either on the hour or half an hour because I don't like thinking about things too much. I want it subconscious so I can break my day up in my head without him thinking about it. So 6.30 for me, I literally chop the 24 hours up into 90-minute periods, uh, 16 segments. It gives me the timing. So 6.30 into 8 o'clock is my post-routine where I'm doing everything I possibly can to help my brain become fully awake and active uh, and so I can get on with my day from 8 o'clock. And it doesn't have to be doing nothing. It's proactive post-sleep routine. Then every 90 minutes, I'm thinking a little distracted break, one or two minutes, just to help the brain. I might think of uh, 30 minutes midday sometimes and just to keep a balance because something's happening that day and I want to get one in. And maybe early evening for an AM is critical because I don't want to be going to bed at 9.30. Uh, I want to be able to take the pressure off my evening. So I would sleep four cycles, which is six hours between 12.30 and 6.30, still a long period of time. I would get the rest of my recovery in the first 90 minutes of my day, every little 90 minutes throughout the day, and maybe a 30 or 20-minute CRP early evening just so I can crack on, take the pressure off my evening and think like that. So I'm thinking five a day, five cycles a day, four 90 minutes back to back, one little 30 minutes there, all the other little things add up, presenting yourself to sleep. I then start thinking 35 cycles in a week, five a day. Might be made up of 28 cycles, nocturnal ones, 90 minutes back to back, with shorter ones, 30 minutes or less, seven of those. So I've got my 35 and it's a mixture of little short ones and some blocked ones doing that. So nobody's saying sleep less. It's just redefine it and get better from it. And the 90-minute cycle was simply born out of, I knew within clinics, that professors and clinicians would wire up a patient taking the brainwave patterns from the frontal lobe of your brain and they would look at a 90-minute set of data, the various stages and phases of sleep. Then they would look at the next 90 minutes bit of data and see how that changes. And so five 90-minute cycles actually each 7.5 hours. So when I ever asked any group, how, how much do you try and sleep? They'll always say eight hours, but don't know why. They just heard it somewhere or somebody said it. So first of all, Five 90-minute cycles, 7.5 hours, defines the eight hours better. Starts making somebody think about cycles. And you're going to laugh now, Ben. But when I first started in football, the length of a football game was 90 minutes with a break in the middle to fuel up, hydrate, strategize, and recovery. So it kind of made something easier to put across to change somebody's perception about sleeping just at night in this monophasic eight-hour block and not achieving it at all, it made sense to them, and it just related to something that they did as well. And it still does today. It's a great way to just redefine your approach if you think about 90-minute cycles, 30-minute cycles, and uh, think about mental and physical recovery. Stop thinking about that word sleep because it puts, it puts people in the wrong place. Uh, mental and physical recovery periods, that's what you're doing as a human being. 
when you've talked about napping, Nick, and like and getting a, um, a short sleep in the day, would you look at in terms of time period? And would you would you say people go, um, could they go for an hour, hour and a half? Could they do a ninety minute in the day? Or where would you stand with that? Well, like when you start looking, you know, in cycles, and you you realise that this polyphase approach is very natural, and once you get that in. Uh, then it starts to make sense of why you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and feel wide awake. It's just the circadian rhythms. That's when the Victorians used to go off and do things. You certainly know about, you know, we can fall asleep behind the wheel of a car, Ben, on a motorway, autobahn. That is a ridiculous decision for us to make. It just shows us that we're not in control. Is if in certain circumstances, if you present yourself to recovery, your brain will just do it to you. You don't have to force it. So once you've got that sort of relationship in place that we're not actually trying to sleep, then what a nap is is simply just a zone-out period at the right time of the day in that natural circadian process, totally natural for the human being. The graveyard slotting business is always straight after lunch. We do feel fatigue, and that's because it's totally natural. And when you get that into your head, then you can define what we call a CRP. It's a controlled recovery period. Naps, snoozers for losers, let's just smash it and go forever. Well, that's long gone, Ben. We're not in the same world now. So to be able to win and be successful, you have to think about sleeping, recovering polyphasically. And all it is, is if I take you down to the river and we sit on the riverbank, within a few minutes... The world just seems to be okay. Things are not that bad. We've got a lovely visualization in front of us. The brain is processing good information. We're outside with all that bright light and that strength of that light, which is triggering the right hormones in our brains. And suddenly, life's okay. Well, that's a nap. Ten minutes in the right place, looking at the right thing, doing the right thing. It could be at your desk. It can be in a training ground. It can be on a chair. It can be in your car. It can be on a train. It can be anywhere. You don't have to do anything special other than understand that the right time of day is if you allocate 30 minutes or less. Just put your alarm on and just do certain things that are quite it might be sounds, it might be smells, it might be visualization, it might be something quite simple. And all you're doing is going, there you go, I'm taking a recovery cycle for me. And if your brain wants to put you into a micro-sleep, it will. You don't have to force it. And once you start that process, Ben, what you start to feel is that once you start doing these things, then you suddenly start to feel the benefits and you also start to feel it. So sometimes... I know that if I do a CRP midday for 30 minutes, I already know that my brain's going to put me to sleep because I can feel it because this is part of my program. Sometimes I don't, but I still do it. But sometimes I do. So I just choose maybe to go somewhere possibly a little bit more private, possibly. But I can still do it at my desk. I can still do it sat in a room when anybody's talking to me because once you get used to this process and you stop this thing, like, I haven't got any time to go to sleep and in the middle of the day. No, 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 it's because your concept of this is completely wrong. And as you pointed out, with certain 
occupations, you know, pilots, nurses, surgeons, Amazon workers. We've all got schedules going on which are crazy. We've got the access to do podcasts all around the world, talking to 15 people at the same time for nothing, which is just wow in, in a very short space of time. So we're all under this pressure. So for somebody who has a particular job that gives them where they have to sleep during the day or they just train in the morning and then they've got the afternoon off, which is also a little bit inconceivable these days as well. That's certainly changed. But it means you could, in the midday window, do a full 90-minute cycle. You could do a 30 or 90 in the midday period, but always keep to maybe a 30-minute cycle in the evening. So you can sort of, this is what's happening. I'm trying to get my five a day. Here's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's a game on there. It kicks off at 7.45. I'm not getting home till then. I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. I've got sponsor this. Da, 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 da. Take the pressure off. Three cycles a night. One midday. One early evening. Thursday's like that. And Friday's like that. It just becomes a totally subconscious approach to just getting your cycles in, understanding that it's all natural, and not doing it randomly at all. You're doing it with routine and consciousness, but it's not restrictive. And I think that's what we need in our lives. You know, sleeping eight hours at night is just long gone. We talking about the five cycles there. How would that be um, the same approach for everyone? I'm just trying to think of, of players now that, that might say, well, how many cycles do I need a day? And do they just need to look? look at their routine and, and what their week looks like and then work back from there? Yeah, the, um, the, the, the principles uh, you, you can't go away from. Um, so in your formative years, going into your mid-teens, then your brain is following a process of controlling the amount of sleep you require to develop growth, okay? Um, so you'll start... Uh, in the infant years, and as you move along, it'll move, you know, 16, 17, 15, 14, 13, 12, 10. It'll start to move you down. So you start to require, because you're growing up and hitting out adolescence and puberty, and you're moving to that point where you don't need those levels of forced recovery by the brain and the formative growth years. When you reach that particular point, for a healthy adult, it's pretty recognized through all the major sort of research groups that 30-odd percent out of the 24-hour circadian period, uh, i.e. eight hours, is what a healthy adult needs to be in recovery. So that eight hours is where it comes from. The difference is not everybody's the same. Now, there are people who are able to work night shifts, do long-haul pilots, pilots um, do things differently to other humans. So what this approach does is it doesn't argue about the period of time in any 24 hours where you need to be in recovery, but what it gives you an opportunity is to find out just how much and when and be able to still maintain that level uh, with what you're doing, what you like doing, your lifestyle choices, and your occupation? So the answer is yes, it's sort of eight hours a day, but how you get it is the one way that you, you probably, you can try and do it yourself, 
but you also need somebody maybe you know like myself or a coach to to just go through a profiling process very quickly just to define that uh, and to give you your approach um, to to your your recovery approach and how it looks for you but they are very similar because we're all human beings Ben. And when you hear people talking about like sleep hygiene and and you spoke about the bedrooms and and beds and mattresses and all that sort of stuff before, mm. when people talk about like the temperatures of the rooms and and the rooms being dark and quiet and all that sort of stuff, what information would you give um, a client or a player in that circumstance? I just refer to one of my other clients who's a professional mountaineer. And they sleep hanging off the side of a cliff in a sack on a hook. And I go, there are no blackout blinds. There are no IMS up there. There is no air conditioning. There are no mattresses and pillows. No nothing, right? But still sleeps. I would refer to them of all the people who sleep on trains and planes and all sorts of places, friends' houses, hotels, you know, and just remind them, that as far as your environment is concerned when you're choosing to sleep even at home, whatever else you put in there, you must first remember it is simply a mental and physical recovery environment, and it's all about moving from light to dark and warm to cool. It's about what you've been doing all day long to help bring you to that place that when you present yourself in that environment to go to sleep, your brain will give you what it requires and that's all it's about and it's exactly the same when you wake up in the morning so there is a lot of things that people do thinking that just ask yourself the question how can one mattress one pillow be suitable for every single human being on this planet because i've come across a lot of different shapes, disabilities, different climates, different places, different environments, people sleeping together uh, when they do, and you sort of think that that can't be right. You know, that cannot be right. So when you think like that, that's one of those biggest mistakes is, is you go out and make a very big investment on, on some mattress and you – you know, you've just got no knowledge and it's made for absolutely everybody and you expect it to turn your life around and it won't. But a little bit of awareness and knowledge in that area um, certainly changes your whole attitude to buying these products and why and what they're supposed to do for you, um, which is great. And I have to say that if you're a, a high-profile or semi-profile player, footballer, they can see you coming. Right, it's not about ignorance or or anything like that. But you know, salespeople smell money, and I was one then, so I know. And and when you smell money, you just go, you need this mattress. It's got fifty thousand springs in it. It's made by NASA. It's guaranteed to give you a perfect night's sleep. It's actually been designed by a chiropractor and sports science professional. And you can sleep on this and it'll sort all your problems out. And they're talking to somebody who's 200 kilograms and six foot 10 with allergies 
and a leg missing because they are a Paralympic athlete, right? They're saying exactly the same thing to a 56-kilogram cyclist female. And you just go, what, what rubbish is that all about? So I think, you know, in those two areas, as we said before, is when you start to just get a little bit of better awareness about human beings and chronotypes, circadian rhythms, polyphasic sleeping, what you're doing from the point of wake, balance, recovery, and activity, environments and products, you suddenly realize that you're, you could easily make some very, very bad and expensive choices just because you don't know enough about it. And again, I'm just trying to think of, like, of, of some questions that players would have. So I know you spoke about um, your, your sleep quality being affected by what you do throughout the day. But when, when you've worked with players before and they've got these late games, so players yeah. are finishing maybe at half past 10 and then they might have had some caffeine before the game and they're getting in bed and they're lying in bed and they're, yeah. and they're wide awake and staring at the ceiling. Yeah. What would be your approach with that? Ben, there's some things that are difficult to explain um, without creating further confusion. But there is an example which is extremely common. And by touching on these little things that I've pointed out, these seven chaos rise, you, by topping your day up and you can see what's coming, is that you already start preparing for this uh, in the days before because you've got this polyphasic approach. So certain moments means don't try and sleep at all. It's not negative. It means that there are certain circumstances that might even crop up, you know, after you've woken up in the morning. You just weren't aware and something happens, something changes. Maybe you weren't going to play for the squad today, but now you are. Oh, God, didn't realize that. I thought I was going to be on the bench or not even, not even travel. There's all sorts of things. Planes get delays. Things happen. We read things on social media that distress us or make us happy. It's all sorts of stuff. But if you looking ahead and you can see that period, that late game, then you would slightly adjust your little recovery cycles running into that period. You wouldn't try to sleep because it's, it's counterproductive because adrenaline, cortisol, anxiety, stress, all of those things are around you. So you just do other little recovery things in and around that process and not try to do it. Because within a short space of time, maybe one or two days, uh, certainly one 24-hour period, um, we can certainly ride through that without any problems at all and still perform at our best. If you prolong it, then you will see the detrimental effects on it. So for a lot of the athletes, when we can see that there are a set of circumstances coming, we just increase the cycles, uh, the shorter cycles, and so we go into it and we come out of it keeping this balanced approach. And we don't get worried about being awake when everybody's asleep because that's the misconception of the whole world. <laughs> Probably more people are awake at night than there are asleep. So change this sort of concept and you take the pressure away from the player. They don't worry about being awake because they understand that these circumstances will dictate that sleeping is not going to happen. And the worst thing you can do is force it by taking sleeping tablets.
or other types of things to try and force yourself to sleep where the dynamics of where you are at that moment in time means not to do something else. I know you spoke before about the wait times. I'm just thinking back about when you're talking about wait times. And I'm personally someone who, who likes getting up early and getting the day going. So yeah. I'm speaking from that side of things. But how would you work that out? Is that depend on someone's day? Or is uh, obviously people generally know whether they are good in the mornings or they're better later on in the day. But in terms of the wait time, where would you start with that? You, and they touched on before, then you start with a natural chronotype wait time. You know, so you, you say you're an AM and you can spot it with anybody, a very quick conversation with any player, any coach, any members of staff and go, are you like me? I wake up and switch my alarm off sometime. You know, I wake up around six o'clock every day. I'm absolutely starving. I get out of bed. I fuel up. I hydrate. I'm ready to go. I can do all my intensity stuff, bowel and bladder sorted, and I'm rocking, right? Or are you the other person who lives 30 minutes away from the training ground, and at 27 minutes past eight, you're still hitting the snooze button because it's 30 minutes to the training ground, and you just drag yourself out of bed, don't have breakfast, don't hydrate, no bowel and bladder, none of this sort of stuff, and you just drag yourself to the place. You suddenly start to understand that that chronotype wait time, so like I pointed out, mine is 6.30, so if I don't have to be at work until 12, I don't put the alarm on for 11, I'm still up at 6.30 every day. I'm still going about all my normal stuff because that's me and my chronotype. If somebody like you, Ben, says, I need to do this before 8 o'clock, my first 90 minutes till 8 o'clock, if somebody asks me to do something specific about my occupation or something that's challenging, then first of all, I'd ask you why. Then I'd question, couldn't we do it at half 8? Then you'd make all the arguments to say, no, we've got to do it at 7 o'clock. So what I would do is go back a full 90-minute cycle, to 5 a.m. from 6.30, and I would wake at 5 a.m., and I'd get my 90-minute period in before 6.30, and then I could be active for you at 7. So what we're doing is chopping the day up into 90-minute periods. It gives us wait times. It gives us sleep times. It gives us CRP times. It gives us little recovery break times. And it's all there principally from your natural chronotype wait time. If you've then got a PM who would choose 8 o'clock, but they have to be at work or training for 8 o'clock, you still chop your day up around that 8 o'clock point because that's the natural chronotype wait time if you had complete control. But what you do is then, right, you need to get up at 6.30, right, like the AMers. Because you need to wait there to be with these. But you definitely need help because it's a full cycle before your natural chronotype wait time. So whereas the AMA's natural chronotype wait time was 6.30, yours is 8 o'clock. But you live in a world where you're being asked to get up earlier. So don't hang around in bed grabbing every little minute. The alarm needs to go on. You need... Daylight-saving lamps in your bedroom to bring the light into your bedroom to stimulate activity and serotonin and get you going. 
you need to, you need to do these things because it's happening naturally with the AMA, but it's not happening naturally with you. So you kind of once you've got this consistent chronotype wait time and chop your day, chop it up in twenty four hours, then as occupations come along, as schedules change, as all of these come up things come along, you are shifting wait times and you are shifting sleep times and you're shifting other cycle times during the day, but it's all based around one common theme. You, your chronotype, the circadian rhythms, 24 hours and cycles. And so you can make adjustments as your lives change and make those things work for you rather than a completely random approach. And that's why it's so important to start that then. I think that information is amazing, Nick. I think that's really, really good. And I've got I've got loads of notes down here, and I could keep you on all day, but I'm not going to. I've got loads of questions and loads of areas you could go into with this. But I really appreciate you taking the time out and talking through all that and going into all that information. I hope the guys are taking loads from it. Um, well, you know, the- if you've got, you know, it's like everything with modern day platforms and things like this, you know. I, I, I do quite a lot of them, and you get all sorts of experiences, Ben. But you know, if there's people listening to this, hopefully there is one or two. Um, if it raises questions in their head, like you said, we could we could we could open up every single subject and talk for quite some time, not to confuse people, but to define what we've been discussing a little bit better for everybody because it is a shift. Anybody's got questions, uh, you know, I, I'm sure just fire them in, and if. If someday you want to get back on and and uh, we can actually do, you know, talk about those questions specifically, fine, you know. But um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope it's uh, you know has a little bit of effect on whoever's listening. Oh, that's great! Nick. And where can the guys follow all your work? Where's the best place to follow your work? Um, the, the the, the website sportsleepcoach.com, sport, no S, sportsleepcoach.com. Uh, if you tap Nip Little House in your browser, you'll find, you know, lots of stuff, YouTube videos. Uh, we're on all the basic social media platforms, you know, Twitter, Instagram, at sportsleepcoach. We're always posting content uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're putting blogs up on our sites. We do videos and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff you can access freely. We've also, I've got a book called Sleep. Uh, it's in 14 different languages. Um, you can listen to it as an audible as well. It's not an expensive book. It's a very simple read. It, and that's another good place to start. Um, and we've also got little services on the website, you know, little profilers that you can do for free. And we're very open to, to people getting in touch and, and advising them on services or products. Um, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, I just advise everybody. It's just like going to a personal trainer or the GP or asking your coach something or nutrition or this or that and anything else. Is uh, There's so much more you can get out of this. And there's some damaging things if you don't. So it's very advisable to at least get some advice and some support from a person like me or somebody similar. No, I hope this reaches as many people as possible because I think the information is crucial. <laughs> um, but 
Nick, thanks again. I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy, so um, thanks a lot for taking the time out and chatting to me. Pleasure, Ben. Pleasure, Ben. I hope to speak to you soon. Okay. All the best. Cheers, Nick. Massive thank you to Nick for coming on the show. It was great to have him on. You can go and follow him at Sport Sleep Coach on Twitter. And also his website is sportsleepcoach.com. And his book is available out there and it's just called Sleep. Um, my biggest takeaways, there was, there was absolutely loads of takeaways for me. I think the information he gave was, was really, really good. Um, and I had a full list of notes. But some of the key ones were the, the seven key recovery indicators. Um, the uh, 90-minute sleep cycles, I think, was a really big one. How your chronotype affects that. And then also the, the pre-imposed sleep effects. So what are you doing while you're awake? I think a lot of people just think that their recovery comes when they're asleep. But he obviously mentioned about what you do for the rest of the day. And I think that's really important and an interesting area to think about. So it's really good to have Nick on. Hope you took loads from the show. Um, like I said at the start, please share this, not just with people involved in football, but I want this to go... Um, to all different types of people because it can affect absolutely everyone loads of people struggle with sleep not just in terms of performance and recovery but they struggle with sleep on a day-to-day basis so it'd be great to get this out to as many people as possible so please share it use social media um, tag us in on your instagram story share it on twitter on facebook by word of mouth as many ways as possible tag your friends in on it and let's spread the word and the information that nick gave us in the episode We've also now confirmed our next network meeting. So on the 12th of April, 6 till 9 p.m., we're going to be at Glanford Park, Scunthorpe United. Adam Kerr is going to be hosting the meeting and he's also going to be presenting. So really looking forward to having Adam present. And um, tickets are now available. You can go onto our website under the network meeting tab. And we're also posting on social media the link um, on Twitter and Facebook as well so go over get your ticket it's a free event and you can get one ticket each but please share it with other coaches who may be interested in coming and growing your network meeting other coaches discussing the challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis uh, day-to-day basis but also obviously seeing Adam present it's going to be great to see him present I know he's got some good ideas of what he's going to present on um, and he's going to add to the top presentations that we've already had on the network meeting so it'd be great to see as many of you guys there as possible and um, that is the 12th of April 6 till 9 p.m please go and follow us we're on Instagram at football fit fed we're on Twitter at football fit fed and our email if you want to get in touch is mail at footballfitfed.com and the website is footballfitfed.com it'll be great to hear your feedback we've had a few more reviews left on iTunes as well which I really appreciate Um, so if you could take a couple of minutes out your day and go and leave us an iTunes review and share the show that'll be amazing also make sure you subscribe so the new shows go go straight onto uh, the podcast player and please get in touch let us know guests you may want to see on the show or hear appear um, any recommendations any feedback from previous episodes it'd be great to hear that I'm not just speaking to nobody and that you guys are listening and taking loads from the show so thank you again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week